You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome back to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs and the only podcast of its kind. Before we get started with the show, I want to thank you for sticking with us through the brief hiatus we took. I was sick for quite a while, and then COVID cropped up and screwed everything up. So thank you for hanging in there and coming back to listen again. We are the podcast, the little podcast that can. I'm telling you what, we still have people listening. I'm like, dude, there's no new episodes. So this is good. We're going to ride that wave. We hope you are doing okay with all the craziness right now, and we want to encourage you to keep going no matter what. It can feel hard to put one foot in front of the other, so do your best to keep going. It's okay not to be at 100% as long as you are taking care of yourself every day. That's sometimes the best that we can do. And... If you are struggling to find work or have no idea what to do for work from home, if your career took a hit, head on over to sickbiz.com slash resources and check out our PDF with 75 job ideas that might spur a bit of inspiration for you to change what you are doing for a living. This is a downtime. It's a hard time, but it can also be your time. And it can also be the time that you never forget because you changed, because you embraced what you truly wanted to do. So head on over to sickbiz.com slash resources and see if that is a feasibility for you and something that you can embark on. My guest today is a very, very special friend of mine. I literally talk to her like multiple times a day, you guys. I am so grateful that we have connected through a mutual friend. Sarah Doan Peace is an expert in living with challenges. And instead of it making her a harder person, it has done the opposite. She exudes love and compassion to every person in every walk of life. Her own medical ills have sometimes taken over her life, and we are going to learn more about how she keeps her head up on this episode. She has a disease I'd never heard of before. I'd never heard of before. Welcome, I'm an editor. A condition called Vader syndrome, V-A-T-E-R, Vader syndrome, that affects internal organs. To date, she has had about 35 surgeries, and she deals with a host of other complications that she will tell you all about. As you can imagine, Sarah is no stranger to our hot topic we are going to discuss today, medical PTSD. It's real, and she is here today to help you mediate your own medical PTSD if you are affected, and if you have a chronic illness, you just might be. I know I am. And the more we talk to people about this leading up to the show, the more people who came forward to share their stories. It was incredible. Please welcome my loving, peaceful, super smart friend, Sarah Joan Peace. Well, thank you so much, Hillary. That was the sweetest intro. I just adore you and appreciate you. And I'm so happy to be here. And you're right, this is such a crucial topic, so I'm just very happy to be the one to help give it more of a platform. 
Well, I'm so honored that you're here, and this is your very first podcast, so this is a very special day for both of us, and you're coming forward to talk about what has been flagging you and the issues that you're facing. I think that's very, very courageous. Well, in my experience, the worst thing that anybody can do is suffer in silence and suffer alone. So I feel like the more that we talk about something in a productive way, then the more that we can manage it and possibly alleviate it. And that goes for anything, and particularly medical PTSD. Absolutely. So before we dive into that topic, let's talk about you. This is what I usually call the elevator speech portion of the show. Let's talk about you in particular, the medical issues that you're dealing with and anything that you want to talk about. And you know me, if you don't want to talk about something, just be like, I'm not going there. So, so we do want to get to know you. We, we want to get to know what you've gone through. It's made you such an expert in this subject. Okay, well, let's start with the fact that I'm a Nevada native, and today I'm a speaker and a writer and a foodie and a cooking expert, and I mm -hmm. live in fabulous Las Vegas, and I love to eat, and I love to inspire people and mm -hmm. use my life as a source of joy and inspiration for others because we've all got a story, and my story is medical miracles over mayhem and I'm a woman of faith I greatly believe in God and that's definitely been a driving force in my life and it's my starting point for pretty much anything in life good bad and different and um, for me it's a good explanation as to why myself and countless others are still here and halfway sane and standing when we really have every reason not to be. As far as medically speaking, um, the syndrome, it, it's fodder, and there's different acronyms. It also can be called VADERS with an S or VACTREL, and each letter in it stands for a different anomaly. And anomaly is like a fancy term for being really messed up and I'm actually very fortunate <laughs> I'm not, I love true. how you put it I love how you put it though I'm not it's true I was born really internally messed up there I said it I own it there you go <laughs> there you go there you go um, that's a beautiful so, moment right there not fighting no, it accepting no it's 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 true and so the, the letters stand, in my case, for vertebrae, anus, de fistula, esophageal atresia, and renal. And basically that means that my kidney, my vertebrae, which is the spine, my um, esophagus especially, and a whole host of other things came out not fully developed and consequently led to 35 surgeries. The last one, which was about... Five months ago, where they sliced me open from stem to sternum and pretty much ripped my guts out and rearranged them and put them back together. And I spent months and months and months in my therapist's office prepping because I knew that because it was my 35th surgery, that 
the surgery isn't always the easy part. Um, the aftermath of it could have really demolished me mentally. I'm not a crazy person. I'm pretty sane. And that being said, because of a history of so much medical trauma, I was well aware of the need to prepare very much so for this 35th surgery. And so that's really what got me into studying medical PTSD. And I also want to mention, I feel it's important, little disclaimer here, I am not a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist of any kind. However, I spent 17 years in school studying psychology. I have a bachelor's in psychology and half a PhD. I was in part Holy. of a PhD program, and I actually quit three years ago because I decided it wasn't my path. But I have gone to to a doctoral program for clinical psychology, so I've lived it and I've studied it extensively. Holy cow! So all the time that we've been talking, you've had this psychology background, and you're still talking to me. So I must be saying I must have passed. <laughs> you know, my my childhood psychologist told me that if you know you're a little crazy, you're okay. <laughs> oh god, okay. This is so great. Yeah. I'm sure everybody listening right now is like they're nodding their heads, like, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. This is okay. I wanted yeah. I wanted um add on to your disclaimer too, because that's absolutely critically important. Um even if you were a doctor, that um, anytime anybody is sharing what can be construed as advice, what you need to know if you're listening today is everything that Sarah said. She's, she's not an official doctor. She's not a therapist. And feel free to listen and to kind of derive your own conclusions about things and create your own plan or just listen and create no plan. But the bottom line is if you need to seek help, seek help. This is not a forum that is uh, going to promise you, provide you anything or be responsible for any decisions that you're making. You need to seek a qualified professional. Boom. There we go. Back to you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's so important. And honestly, my hope is that, like you said, when we were preparing for this episode, so many people came forward. And in fact, I had a dear friend in my own life who I was telling about being on your wonderful podcast, and, and I was telling them what I'd researched to prepare for it, and they finally said, oh my gosh, I, I probably have that too, and they've never thought of that, and I was mm -hmm. so glad, and that's what, that's why we need to talk about it, that's what's so powerful. It's not to talk about it and live in it, but it's to mm -hmm. gain understanding and awareness so that you can move through it and manage it. Yes, 100%. So let's go into the definition of medical PTSD. And there are actually different ways to define it, too, because it's if you're a patient, you can have it. You can also have it if you're a caregiver, is what we've learned. Yes, you can. And I have been on both ends of it. My mother has had significant health issues for the last about 12 years. And I think that that's very much part of it as well, in that especially, I think, seeing someone you love and care about go through life 
life-threatening situation, particularly continually, can be just as negatively effective as going through it yourself. And to be completely honest, as a patient, because I've been a lifelong patient and will continue to be, um, because a lot of it doesn't go away. Um, mm-hmm. I'd rather be the patient because you get the drugs. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm what, do you have an official definition for medical PTSD? So medical PTSD is a physical, psychological trauma caused by a life-threatening medical event. Okay. So it's it, not, it, it feels it's not, like, and let me just interject for one second, though. So it feels like it doesn't have to be life-threatening. It feels like it can just be perceived in the patient or caregiver's mind that it's life-threatening. Absolutely. That is correct. And it's not, it's not necessarily like a fear of needles, per se, which is a very real thing. I understand mm-hmm. that. And I'm not negating that, but it's it's when you are like thrust into a medical situation wherein basically you cannot consent to it, even though there's forms for consent. It's when you're caught in, oh my God, this is bad, this is scary, something awful is gonna happen, something awful is happening, I don't know what's gonna happen, I'm really sick. They're really sick. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so it triggers you. And I would imagine the triggers would be not always medical in nature. Like they they might be circumstantial, for example. Like if you, and I don't know if people with eating disorders, would have medical PTSD or but I guess basically anybody could have medical PTSD but I'm trying to think of like a it's just a regular everyday situation where you might confront your medical PTSD and then it, does that mean that the memory of being unsafe and in a life-threatening situation comes rushing back at you even if it's not you know what I mean even if it's like Every day, let's say you have to, for instance, like transverse myelitis patients, a lot of them have to catheter themselves, okay? So mm-hmm. maybe the act of even cathetering themselves reminds them, oh, I'm sick and it's never going to be the same and what if I get sick again and I almost died? Is that is that a feasibility, the everyday thing kind of confronting you? Absolutely, and that's exactly what it is. You actually defined it pretty much exactly, so that was great. Thank you. Um, It's anything that reminds you or triggers you, the word would be trigger you, into going back into that unsafe, again, possibly life-threatening place. And the thing is that medical PTSD, like other forms of PTSD, because there are several different forms, but we're going to stick to medical for the purposes of this, mm-hmm. is that it's, it's, it's pervasive and it's kind of, I don't want to say never-ending because there are ways to work through it and, and, and squelch it and, and come out the other side, but 
it's like ongoing, particularly yet if you have a chronic illness. And that's the thing. If you or your caregiver, like you said, with someone with a chronic illness, it's kind of an ongoing cycle. And if I may provide an example in my own life, would that be okay? Of course. And um, okay. we also want to talk about some of the symptoms of medical PTSD, too. So if somebody's exactly. listening, it might flip exactly. on a light switch, like, oh, that could be me. Maybe I should get some help. Okay, exactly. Of course. So um, I'll start with an example, and then I'll go into the symptoms, if that's okay. Of course. Okay, so um, one of the things that I, I was recently triggered, actually, just last week when I went to church, and, you know, with all the new requirements and everything going on with, with, with the virus going around, um, I have a fear of masks because of all the surgeries and all the doctors and nurses that I saw pretty much the first five of year, years of my life. That's all I saw. Like, literally, I didn't really see anybody unmasked except my parents, my parents and family. And so when I went to church last Sunday and there was literally 47 people in masks and we were in fluorescent lighting in an enclosed space, I freaked out, you know, and yeah. this is my church family. I've been going for five years. I know these mm -hmm. people. It's not a hospital, and it's a safe place. It's a loving place, but oh, my goodness, my brain was like, you're insane, you're insane, run, 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 and it was mm -hmm. very, it was very, very disturbing because it was such a trigger, and with medical PTSD, it can be, you know, needles or masks or the smells or the catheters, like you said, or just, you know, the slightest thing um, can trigger it and set it off. And so the symptoms um, all include intrusive memories, recurrent unwanted distressing memories of the traumatic event, reliving mm -hmm the traumatic event, flashbacks, nightmares, um, dreams, um, physical reactions to something that reminds you of the event, like what happened at church, avoiding mm -hmm. places and activities, negative thoughts about yourself, other people in the world, um, memory problems, feeling detached, lack of interest in activities you once enjoyed, um, being emotionally numb, being easily startled or frightened, feeling on guard, trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, being quick to anger and outbursts and aggressive behavior, as well as hopelessness about the future and feeling completely out of control. Those are the symptoms of medical PTSD. Holy moly. So you might think, for instance, like I'm I'm having anxiety, and mm -hmm. but you might not link the two things together. So exactly, you might have an anxiety attack. You might be put into a depressive state. So it's kind of I do hear a lot of the same symptoms for 
I guess we'll call it, <laughs> I don't want to say regular PTSD, but more typical PTSD. PTSD is triggered by usually one event where CPTSD, to my understanding, which is complex PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, is triggered by recurrent events. But they all have very similar um, symptoms assigned to them. So if you are chronically ill and this is happening, and your mask example was like really... To put it in young people's language, I was shook when you talked about it. I was shook too, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to be completely honest because I always am. You know me, Hillary. I I don't share yeah. throat. I I'm a very sweet and caring person, but I don't have a baloney bone in my body. So a baloney bone? That's a, I, I never heard I that. I don't have a baloney bone. <laughs> I, you know, because I've lived on the fringes of life and death pretty much my whole life, I like, let's cut to the chase. Let's not give each other bologna. You know, I do like five bologna sandwiches, but I don't give bologna as a person. And I did freak out. Like, I legitimately freaked the F out. And I wanted yeah. to run. Um, but I decided to stay and face my fear because I have the tools to do so. Which, again, is why I'm such a huge proponent of people, you know, seeking qualified professionals and, and going to their doctors and going to therapists and speaking about it. And fortunately, what this whole pandemic and shutdown has taught us, you know, is that we can have telemedicine online so we don't have to physically get up and go to a doctor's office or a therapist's office anymore. And I have to tell you, that's super helpful for those of us with mm. medical PTSD because physically going to the doctor or even physically going to a medical building can be a trigger in and of itself. And so now that we have this telemedicine, if it's available to people suffering from medical PTSD, I highly recommend Teletherapy mm -hmm. because you can it I, it's actually can be really effective. Um, and you mentioned PTSD and medical PTSD leading to depression, and I want to share really good statistics with with you, if I may. Mm -hmm. Of course. So, twelve to twenty five percent of people who experience a life threatening illness or watch one develop medically induced PTSD. And wow. about 26% of people that have medical PTSD end up with depression. Okay. And it comes later. It comes about three to nine months after the event. But if you have ongoing events, you're pretty much going to be stuck in a cycle of depression. And depression does run in my family. It's one of the most hereditary genetic mental disorders, depression is. But it's also caused by a lot of medical trauma. And for me, even though that was hard to admit initially in my own life, because I'm such a happy, positive, joyful person by nature, thank God, 
um, once I realized that and came to terms with it and made peace with it, I realized, you know, my I'm not like this isn't my fault. You know, and, and anyone that's had a lot of medical trauma, it's not your fault if you're depressed. It's not your fault if you're stuck in an basically 24-7 anxious anxiety episode. Because what you have yeah. to realize is that your body doesn't care when or how the trauma happened. It just cares that it did. And we literally store it on a cellular level. And that's so important to remember. And I think that's so important, too, because... So many times we do take things on as our fault. So we say, well, I'm depressed because I can't manage it. I have anxiety because I can't manage it. Even I'm suicidal. And mm -hmm. and that is on me and I can't manage it. And you know what? Anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation, they're liars. And that is, yes, and it, that is not your fault. You're battling and you're, you're locking arms with a liar. So what you're saying is absolutely true. And I just kind of wanted to slam that point home for people who are like, but I can't get out of it. I don't know how to fix it. I'm stuck here. Mm -hmm. Well, you do have some tools at your disposal, but at the same time, the way that you get over it is to excuse yourself from the blame. And I don't exactly. know that you, we can go very far if we're blaming ourselves. It's very, exactly. very hard to get out of that cycle. So I think that's critically important, and I love that you brought it up. Um, we're going to be rounding up before long, which is crazy. So let's talk about, let's say you have a triggering event coming up. So you had the surgery that you were not scheduled for that surgery. It was a major, major surgery for a month. And so you mm -hmm. had, like, this looming over your head. You did go through counseling, but you were facing this medical PTSD. How did you handle that? So I decided that I, I got really sick again in August 2018. And I was basically sick with my stomach and all the issues that come with that in my esophagus for literally 17 months straight. And I've lived very sick and I've lived pretty healthy-ish. And I prefer the latter. And in so much as it's my, I do, and in so much as it's my power to be healthy-ish, I will do it. And so I was like, to heck with this, let's go have the surgery, let's fix this shit, like I'm, I'm done. And because mm -hmm. I got things to do, you know. And so, but I knew that it was a surgery, um, it was a major surgery, it was actually the biggest one of my life, which is saying a lot. And yeah. I, I admitted it, you know, we're, we're friends, you and I, and and I'm so blessed to have a whole army of other wonderful friends as well. And I reached out to my support network, and for the first time in my life, I was like, I didn't try and be strong when I wasn't feeling it. You know, I admitted it when I was having a bad day. I admitted it when I wasn't, you know, feeling very good physically. I admitted it when I was anxious. I admitted it. When I was depressed and it's so important like you said let go of the shame and the guilt of being in a dark place mm -hmm. because you know if, if you're honest about it most people will 
care. And most people will show up and you can't fix what you don't admit and you can't help what you don't know. And so, yes, I went to counseling and I leaned on friends. And of course I leaned on my faith and full disclosure. I yelled at God. I believe in God. Mm. I never Mm -hmm. doubted his presence or his, his plan for me. And I don't, but I questioned it. Oh, for sure. And I Mm -hmm. basically, I made a deal. I said, you know, if you bring me to it, you'll bring me through it. I get that. But here's the deal. Like, if you're going to get me through this, you got to make this better than ever after the fact. And he had, despite, despite a worldwide pandemic. And I really, I know that we don't Uh have much time, but I want to, I really, this is important. I want to say this, um, you know, the, the, the virus out there, real or imagined, whatever people think about it. Um, for those of us that have already been through the ringer medically, I feel like it's important to avoid getting it simply because many people that have it are put into the ICU and put on a ventilator and put into medically induced comas. And what I did not know prior to researching for this episode of this podcast was that those are three factors that greatly increase your risk for medical PTSD. So we could have a a perfectly healthy person who's never had a broken bone, a cold, an allergy, and certainly no surgery, who's been surrounded by healthy people their entire life. And, you know... God bless them. I I cannot imagine that. (laughs) That was not my lot in life. But we could have a completely healthy person and they could get this virus and be thrust in the hospital and put into an ICU and possibly a medically induced coma. And they could very well recover because it does have a high recovery rate physically. Right. However, they now have medical PTSD. Yes. And that was shocking to me. Shocking. It is shocking. And you know what? And I didn't know that those medical instances were kind of precursors or contributors to medical PTSD. The other thing we're finding out, depending on where you read it again, I mean, this is, these are, Sarah and I are expressing our views and our opinions right now. And so if you have a different opinion, that's fine. We can agree to disagree. Um, but the other thing that's happening is, according to some of the articles that I'm reading, are that people are having a hard time recovering and dealing with things that are symptoms that kind of match up to chronic fatigue syndrome. Just generally, and, and you know what that is, just generally feeling like yeah. garbage. You can't do anything. You can't, it's not even you can't stay awake. It's just like somebody let all the air out of your tires, which is, or they drain your blood out and you can't, <laughs> you know, you're exactly. like, I would love to help you, but I can only use one appendage. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. Like you said, we are, you know, they, they, we're expressing our opinions and if people want to agree to disagree, that's completely, totally fine. Um, with the medical PTSD, if you've been in an ICU, or ever had a medically induced coma, which I've had two. I don't remember them because I was a baby. Um, your chances for medical PTSD 
are increased by about 40%, which is shocking. And, oh, my word. Right. I did not know that prior to this week. And yeah. one, of the, one of the reasons that particularly being in a hospital for an extended amount of time or living in a hospital as a patient or caregiver or basically an at-home hospital if that's where someone is in their life with at-home care, um, it's because it's very disorienting. There's no reality. There's no time clock. There's no schedule. And you don't have choices. And so a big part of medical PTSD is reduced autonomy or less choices. You know, when your body makes your choices for you, it's a very disorienting, infuriating place to be. And Hillary, I know you and I, we live that many days. And so, so do many others, countless others. And that alone can be a trigger. And that alone can put you into a spiral of depression and anxiety because ultimately we all want to feel safe and we all want to feel like we are in control of our lives. And when you have a chronic illness and when you are caring for someone with a chronic illness and when you have medical PTSD, you know, those choices can feel very strict. And that's just devastating. They can. It's what you feel trapped in your body. So even if you're having symptoms you in your body that you can't control, it can trigger. So medical PTSD to me, just as a lay person and learning about it, sounds a lot like we are not in control and we don't have, it, it's the lack of certainty. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't control our body. We can't control our situations. Maybe somebody else is um, making the decisions for you, for example, because you're too ill to make those decisions. So I would think that would be another triggering um, sort of event. But so what I want to do is we always follow up our podcast with a blog. And what I'd like to do is provide a resource for people to go to so they can click on it and say, you know what, I do, if they're making that kind of self-diagnosis, I do have medical PTSD, then this is where you can go to get the help to understand how to manage it. You can take a look at the symptoms that you have and then, you know, some of the, the methodologies or remedies that, that people are using. I think that would be um, a, a really helpful guide. And this brand new topic that we're talking about, I'm not seeing a lot of conversation about medical PTSD out there. So Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing so much of yourself and letting us be your maiden voyage. That is just amazing and such an honor. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so blessed and honored to be here. And like, like we said, you know, it's, it's so common and yet it's not really talked about. So hopefully this will be a a maiden voyage for many people, not just myself, to talk more openly about it and just really, really quickly and like literally 10 seconds here because I know we're limited on time. Um, I want to make it clear, medical PTSD can be overcome even if you have a chronic illness. It's unlike other PTSDs, you can overcome it and you can do that with 
intervention and therapy and and faith and it's not something that you're just stuck with and hopeless and hopeless and so i would encourage everyone to reach out to the resources that hillary is going to provide reach out to me reach out to hillary you know find a good therapist and just be open about it and help yourself because it's out there there is help available and there are people There's that care Yes, there are people that care. There is help available. And I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful kind of sign off to, for people to remember that it can be very frustrating, alienating. You feel like you're alone, but there are always people out there ready to love you. Absolutely. There are. And you're living proof. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, and so are you. Absolutely. Sarah Doan, Peace, the epitome of her name, Peace, uses her time and energy to spread love and understanding in the world. When there is a problem, she tackles it, and she has done this with medical PTSD as well, bringing you the information to overcome it or just de-intensify it. This is good information that you can use to help yourself feel better. We are so grateful for her time today, given so freely to help other people feel better. We appreciate your letting us walk a mile in your shoes, Sarah. Find her on Facebook, and we will also have info on how to find her on the blog as well on sickbiz.com. At this time, we are experiencing moments that we can use to redefine us and change us to the point that we need to be, that we have been fighting so hard to become. I'm not talking about just making a living. I'm talking about becoming you. I'm talking about this is a renaissance moment for you to embrace who you are. Unemployment is at an all-time high, and if you are disabled or have a chronic illness, it might be harder for you than others to find work. That's why SickBiz is here. That's why I urge you again to check out sickbiz.com slash resources. And the PDF built by the SickBiz Facebook group outlining 75 different ways to work remotely. It's a very special project we all took part in and everybody contributed their voices. I'm very proud of it. So please make sure that you check it out at SickBiz.com slash resources if you're in need of this information. Also, make sure that you put yourself out there. You can plan your workload weeks and months in advance. I'm telling you, it is it will save you financial hardship headaches. We've all had those. And the key to getting over them is to move forward in advance. It's to jam up your pipeline. It's to make sure the workload is robust. So we're helping to provide the security that you need. We hope to see you over there. That's it for today's episode of Six Biz Buzz. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.